Hey friends, I hope you're all staying as safe and healthy and comfortable as possible, and that you're taking care of all the people and pets that are important to you. I had something embarrassing happen to me last week. I went to the supermarket early in the morning, around 8 a.m., and uh, I got a cart, and I walked all around the store, and I picked out all my groceries, and I went to check out, and I put all my items on the conveyor belt there, and the clerk began to scan my food, and when she was about halfway finished, I reached down to my pocket and realized I'd forgotten my wallet. Oh, boy. And I immediately said to the woman ringing me up, uh, This is so embarrassing, I just realized I forgot my wallet. And then I said, I'll put all this back. And I started to pick up the last of my items and put them in the cart to put everything back that I picked out. And, and the clerk said, Hang on, hang on. How far away do you live? And I said, Well, I can go home and be back here with money in about 15 minutes. And at this point, the manager of the supermarket had come over and she said, Go home and get your wallet. We'll finish ringing up your groceries. You can pay for it when you come back. So I did. I drove home and was embarrassed the second time because I had to walk into our house empty-handed, and I, I just tried to make it as painless as possible. I walked right through the front door, went straight to my wallet, picked it up, said, I forgot my wallet, and drove back to the supermarket. And uh, I, I gotta admit, it... it it felt fancy to walk back into the supermarket, pay for my stuff, and have it all bagged and in my cart, ready for me. And I thought to myself, all these people must think I'm a celebrity. Folks, you're listening to the People Are the Enemy podcast. I'm the host of the show. My name is Andy Mascola. There are no ads on this podcast, and there is no Patreon set up for it. The only thing I've ever asked of listeners is if you love the show, and if you'd like to help support it and myself monetarily, and get yourself or the reader in your life some fine fiction please consider purchasing any or all of my novels. I'm the author of nine self-published books that are all currently available worldwide in both ebook and paperback formats via Amazon. And if you like ebooks but you don't use Amazon, you can find all nine of my titles on Google Play. Just search my last name, M-A-S-C-O-L-A. That's how you'll find me on Google Play. If you prefer paperbacks but you don't use Amazon, you can find most of my stories in paperback at barnesandnoble.com. BN.com if you hate typing. If you've already purchased any or all of my books, thank you, thank you, thank you. I sincerely appreciate your generous patronage. And with all that out of the way, here's the quirky theme song. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to episode 240 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. I want to thank you for checking the show out. You know you're in the right place. What else are you going to listen to? 
this is the place to be. This is the podcast to be listening to. Do any other shows really even matter? No. You found it. This is it. <clears throat> okay, here we go. Let's give this a shot, shall we? All right, where are the lyrics? Generals gathered in their masses Just like witches at black masses? Who rhymes masses with masses? I mean, that's just bad songwriting. It's like that, uh, that Beastie Boys song there, right? Everybody's rapping like it's a commercial. Acting like life is a big commercial. So this is what I got to say to you all. Be true to yourselves and you will never fall. <laughs> Look, I love Sabbath. I do. And I love the Beastie Boys. But this is some bad songwriting, right? There's some bad lyric writing. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm just having fun. I love, I love Sabbath and I love War Pigs. And I do love the Beastie Boys. But come on. Come on, guys. <laughs> have some fun right oh my god you talk about fun you want to hear something fun this is <laughs> this is fun this is fun in retrospect uh obviously it's it's frightening when it happened and i'm sure i'm sure the person involved in this was frightened when this happened this is uh this is something i came across recently uh it's uh paul simon performing in 1981 when he did the Simon when they when they did simon and garfunkel performed in central park in 1981 and uh, he performed this song, The Late Great Johnny Ace. This is something I, I never knew happened. But uh, evidently, a gentleman <laughs> gentleman got onto the stage during the performance. Yeah, and I guess when they, they made the, the film available of this, they kept it in the film. And uh, it's quite a moment, and I'm hoping you can hear it. But uh, I'm not going to give away what this gentleman says and, until you hear it. But uh, check this out. So this is Paul Simon performing... Uh, the late, great Johnny Ace on an acoustic guitar in Central Park in 1981. Check this out. On a cold December evening I was walking through the Christmas tide When a stranger came up and asked me If I had heard John Lennon had died And the two of us went to this bar And we stayed to close the place <laughs> Did you hear that? Some guy runs on stage just as he's singing about being told John Lennon had died. And he, this, it sounds like a, a gentleman from New York because he's got a very thick New York accent. He says, I gotta talk to you. I gotta talk to you. And then somebody, somebody grabs a guy from behind and pulls him off stage. I'm gonna play just that part again and then I'll play it to the end so you can hear how it ends. But uh, just a wild moment. Check this out. Here. You came up and asked me if I had heard John Lennon had died. And the two of us went to this bar and we stayed to close the play. And every song we played was for the late great Johnny Ace, yeah, yeah. Paul kind of looking thoughtful as if 
wondering what the hell just happened. Yet still, let's still, yet still, you know, pulling off the ending quite well, actually, all things considered. I mean, what a terrifying moment. But in retrospect, excuse me, retrospect, hilarious, right? But uh, I was thinking about that, like, what was, what could Paul have been th thinking in those final bars? You know what I'm saying while he's finishing the song? Like, what did that guy want to tell me? <laughs> like, I gotta talk to you. I gotta talk to you. Paul, I'm from the future. Paul, don't shack up with Edie Brickell. <laughs> Again, very dark. Sorry. <laughs> Poor Paul Simon, man. I say poor Paul Simon, man. He's, you know, he's, he's not the greatest either. You know what I mean? In terms of, uh, you know, you know, you think about, uh, think about the whole Graceland situation. Um, and, and you know what I mean? I won't get into it anyway. Um, holy moly. Just a funny moment. What, what else can I talk about? Oh my gosh. I've watched the first three episodes of Netflix, uh, Sandman series. And I got to say, it's good. It's good. It's good. Okay. All right, it's good. I'm not. I'm not gonna. Uh, you know. I do. I have my criticisms. Yeah. Yeah, I do actually. Um, I'll tell you. You know. And I've I've mentioned this in the past. I I believe. You know. I've mentioned this where I have a problem where music, like a constant score underneath, like every single scene in a film or a show, like the music is just like like ceaseless. You know what I mean? It's just constant. It's. Con I'm a music lover, but. Like if the acting's good and the the and what you're seeing is amazing, you shouldn't need music under every single ding dang scene. You know what I mean? It's and that's that's what this is. That's that's very much in the first three episodes. Again, there are ten episodes total. I've watched the first three, and again, they're good, but the music is so damn distracting from the acting. I'm like I'm thinking to myself, like, what are they trying to disguise, and why is this? orchestrated piece trying to tell me how to feel the, the that should be expressed by the people on the screen I, I'm not against I'm not against film scores I think they're they're essential in some situations and enhanced scenes and others but I think that when you've got dialogue happening you don't you shouldn't need a score you know to express the emotions of the actors that should be expressed by the people in the scene and and when you've got somebody like David Thewlis who is probably like it, well, for me, the only other than Patton Oswalt, who play who does who voices a character, the only known actor thus far in this series, uh, again three episodes in, uh, David Thewlis is incredible to watch and a, and a fantastic actor. You don't need a score underneath him to to you know emphasize what he's expressing because he's doing it so well. So it leads me to believe, like, what were they trying to cover up here? Are these subpar? people that they got to play these parts. I mean the the kid, I'll tell you, the kid that plays that plays Dream, Tom Sturridge is beautiful. Okay, he looks like a young Trent Reznor, but I don't think anybody would disagree with me that uh he's very very good looking, very striking looking uh and uh looks like a very like a young Trent Reznor. It's the best way to describe his 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 facial uh, features. And he's got the hair and of course, he, you know, they've done in his body is in perfect condition, he looks. He looks like Dream. He looks like Morpheus, right? And he's got the hair and everything. Did I mention the hair already three times? Maybe <laughs> I'm a little envious of the, all that beautiful hair. <laughs> Can you tell? But uh, but he doesn't have a whole lot lot of range. He doesn't need a lot of range. Morpheus is basically hands in his pockets and just saying things very stoically. You know what I mean? 
And uh, I don't know if if you'll see him break out. I can't imagine you will. I, I've read, what, I think I've read eight of the 11 different volumes of, of uh, Sandman. I, had, so I haven't finished the whole thing, but I've read, I, I believe, eight of them. And then I have The Endless Nights. I actually got all my Sandman books back from uh, from my cousin. I loaned her the first four trades, as well as Endless Nights, this uh, hardback, that uh, beautiful hardback that my friend bought me for my birthday one year. Or maybe it was Christmas, regardless. Uh, and then I'd read the other volumes from my library. And uh, and I love it. I'm a Sandman fan. But I think anybody who knows Sandman would agree that, uh, you know, you just got to look the part, basically. And as long as you can speak and look the part, there's not a whole lot you need to do as that character. Because he's basically, like I said, very stoic, very hands in his pockets, doesn't really, exp like, never smiles... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not like he's breaking down emotionally and like having to have this this crying jag or laughing hysterically. No, it's just a guy, you know, <laughs> just a guy basically there. You know what I mean? Just standing there like looking cool. All you got to do is look cool if you're saying, man, <laughs> unreal, man. Speaking about looking cool and being cool. Oh, man, I got into the Stooges again lately. This week I was... I was driving around listening to Raw Power in my car, and what an album. Oh my god, I love that album so much. I am a, I am a Stooges fan, but I'll tell you something. Like, aside from Raw Power, I mean, okay, you got that 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 2007 album, uh, The Weirdness. I don't think I've, I've heard that. And the other two, The Stooges, the self-titled one, and then Funhouse, I haven't spent nearly as much time with as I have with Raw Power. But... I don't think that makes me any less a Stooges fan. And uh, I wouldn't say I'm an Iggy Pop fan, per se. I don't, like, you know, I, I enjoyed Iggy's singles. I enjoy Iggy as a person. Uh, I, I obviously think that he was uh, the progenitor of, of punk rock. You know, he's just like, I suppose, and maybe this is, um, maybe you'll, you'll disagree, but whereas, like, Little Richard was, like, the human embodiment of rock and roll, like, literally, like came down, like, sent from the heavens to be, like, the human embodiment of what rock and roll was and ex expressed. I believe that about Little Richard, that he was that, that that's what he um, exemplified in his life. That was his, his, that was what he was given to be here for, like, that he was here to represent rock and roll. I believe, similarly, Iggy Pop was sort of like, well, he was sort of like the archetype for for what a punk what punk rock was, and this was in the '60s. Damn it! Can you imagine that first that first Stooges album came out in 1969? I mean, come on, man! I mean that that pre that predated that predated the the Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers, and uh, you know that pre that predated the Sex Pistols, obviously almost by ten years. That predated the Ramones. That's to me, that's everything. I remember speaking with a friend in high school around this time when I was first discovering punk rock, and I was, you know, I was 12, 13 years old, and uh, this this friend of mine was a huge fan of the Ramones and the Sex Pistols, and I said, I said, was were the, the, the Ramones the very first punk band? He's like, no. I said, who was? And he said, well, you know, you have to go back. I said, and then he started thinking about albums and going back, and he said, well, you know, the Stooges began in 69. And that's, that's really like, you know, if they, they weren't calling themselves punk, that was proto-punk. 
And 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 he's he's right, you know. I think then I think like you you look at you look at Iggy Pop and you think of all the things he he's done and his outrageousness, you know, throwing his body around on stage into like broken glass and like, you know, there's that scene from uh, that Detroit concert where he's being held up by the audience members and 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 he's just smearing peanut butter all over his body. Who was doing that? Nobody, right? I mean, that's punk rock just not giving an F, you know what I mean? <laughs> I say, I say, not giving an F sounds ridiculous when you're saying not giving up, mm, you know, uh, when you're trying to say not give up, mm, you know, it, it just sounds stupid, but, uh, but yeah, man, I, and I love the Stooges and I've been, I've been, I've been driving around listening to raw power and just remembering how great they are. And, uh, I just, this morning I, I downloaded via Hoopla, which is, which is a, um, uh, library digital loan service where you can loan things digitally from the library. Uh, Funhouse, the deluxe edition of, of the Stooges album Funhouse, which again, I've heard it. I just need to spend more time with it. And I said, I've really got to delve into this and, and really, really soak it up because it's, it's, it is a masterpiece and I, I need to, I need to, to be more familiar with that album. Um, what else can I tell you? There's something else I wanted to play for you. This was so, so funny. I figure we'll end on this note because it's hilarious. This is a clip of uh, a training video for a hotel. And what it is is uh, uh, the hotel carving station. Uh, it's basically like a tutorial for, for employees at a hotel who were going to be operating the carving station. This was a clip I found and I just, I laughed so hard when I heard it. And I, I almost don't need to comment on it at all, but I wanted to play it for you because I thought it was so enjoyable. Uh, it's from the 1990s, as you will easily notice if you've lived through the 90s and remember these sorts of things, you'll easily be able to, uh, you can almost picture it in your mind. So I don't feel like I need to provide all too much context for this visually, but uh, check this out. This is again, uh, uh, a carving buffet uh, training video. Here it is. Enough to eat today. Boy, I'll say. Well, that's great. Would you care for some beef? A little both, I think. All right. Making friendly conversations like this is a big part of greeting and serving guests. Every conversation you hold with guests should begin something like this. Good evening. Or. Hi, how are you? Once you've greeted the guest, start a brief conversation. Try asking a question the guest can answer in a sentence or two. You might ask something like this Is it still hot out there? Or this. Did you catch a game last night? Or this. <laughs> Have you tried the lasagna? It's my favorite. Don't forget to hold quick conversations with our younger guests, too. Children often play a big part in deciding which restaurant their parents visit. We want them to feel welcome and special here, too. So start conversations with children by saying something like this. What grade are you in at school? <laughs> have you decided what dessert you're going to have? Here are some guidelines for knowing how much meat to serve a guest. When your guest's plate has very little on it, carve a full cut. Lay it over the bare portion of the plate. Children usually prefer smaller portions. Carve them a smaller cut. I love that they have to tell the guy to like, or the lady to, in this case it's a guy obviously, to put it over the bare portion of the plate, like it's like you know, drop it, drop it right into the, drop it right into the gravy. <laughs> yeah, you do it. <laughs> Check it out. Here we go. Place it on an open section of the plate. If your guest's plate looks like this, quarter cut or a half cut of the meat the guest requests. How's it? This is a customer with a full plate, obviously. 
that for you. That's fine, thanks. Asking how's that makes sure guests are happy with the slice they received. Good evening. I got such a kick out of that. Again, like, I, you know, I, I'd listened to this only a couple times, and I tried commenting on it, and I'm like, wait, I don't even need to comment on this. I I could just play this. It's so hilarious as it is. Uh, holy moly, guys. I, I hope you like this uh, this segment of the show. We've got more show for you. Uh, Rachel Hadaway, Rachel from Des Moines, is up next with the chart chat, and I'll hand it over to her now. Take it away, Rachel. Thanks, Andy. Hello, and welcome back to Rachel's Chart Chat for another week. Thanks to everyone who listened last week. I got some very nice comments from Tavy and from Mary. And for anyone who hasn't done so, be sure to check out Kids in the Hall Comedy Punks documentary on Amazon Prime, as well as the podcast about catching up on films from the 80s, Mary vs. the Movies. For the 70s this week, we are finally getting a chart from 1970 itself. And if you've ever wondered why we haven't covered that before, it's because the American Top 40 as a show did not debut until July 4th of 1970. It was created by Casey Kasem and a childhood friend from Michigan, Don Bastanti. When it first started, it only appeared on seven radio stations. Um, and that first show has been played on series before. I've heard it. Um, it's also available in full on a fan site that I found. Casey Kasem had been doing radio since he was in high school, and I read also that he already had the role of Shaggy in Scooby-Doo at this point, which you would have thought maybe he got it from being known on the on this radio show, but he was just one of these journeyman radio guys that went around and also was doing some acting in addition to that. But yeah, so for this week, we are in uh, July 25th of 1970, starting off at number 98. We have a group called Ten Wheel Drive with their song Morning Much Better. And like Afternoon Delight is an ode to getting it on at times other than nighttime. Uh, there was a member of this band, uh, Jenya Raven. She was the lead singer. And Michael Zager was also in the group, which we know later on he had Let's All Chant. This is just kind of a cool song. And it reminds me a little bit of that Maria Moldauer, I'm a Woman, like the rhythm of it and then having the female lead singer. At number 90, we have Sing a Song for Freedom by the group Frigid Pink, and that's F-R-I-J-I-D, Pink. And I'll admit part of this is due to the cool name, and they sound like they might have been influenced by the Guess Who with a little blood, sweat, and tears in there. So if you like the sound of either of those bands, give these guys a listen. This one will make it to number 55. At number 78 is Cool in the Gang with Let the Music Take Your Mind. And the 78 is as high as this one would get. I read that their first single actually came out in 1969, and it was a self-titled off their self-titled album. I really like this one because I like hearing the band members encouraging each other as they're playing. And when you listen to this and then you think about what they would go on to make in the 70s and 80s, you can hear kind of the evolution in their sound. At number 70, we have Al Deloy with Song From Mash. And it's tr not titled Suicide is Painless, it's literally called Song From Mash. And this is a kind of a Latin jazz version of the famous theme. And this was coming from the movie. This was before the TV show. And I do feel like if this would have been used for the TV show, it would not have bummed people out. I've heard people talk about when they were a kid that their the MASH theme made them feel sad or worried or like that reminded them they had to go back to school or something. But this Latin jazz version, very up-tempo, much more enjoyable to me. At number 38, we have the song Maybe by the group The Three Degrees. This would get to number 29. 
and I really love this one. Uh, it starts out with this amazing uh, spoken word intro, and I feel like we don't get as many female spoken word as we do with uh, males, but then the first example I thought of was Tina Turner from Proud Mary, so maybe I'm totally off, but this is a, just a really great song. There's so much emotion in how they're singing. I definitely uh, give this one a listen. At number 29 is Mississippi Queen by Mountain, and this would make it to number 21. And the song is so short, it's two and a half minutes, but it is so good. And in an earlier segment, I had referred to another song of theirs kind of casually, and maybe we don't all know this, so I wanted to be sure to put this on on. And I've read this great anecdote on the Wikipedia page. It was talking about the recordings. It was getting a little bit tense. Their producer slash bassist was making them do a lot of takes. Um, it says, Growing weary, Lang started using the cowbell to count off the song. Popolardi liked it so much, he left it in the mix, creating the song's recognizable intro. At number 10 is Melanie with Lay Down, Candles in the Rain. This would make it up to number 6. And Melanie wrote this song based on her experiences performing at Woodstock, where she was one of only three female solo acts. And she would later go on to have a chart achievement of being the first uh, female performer with three songs in the top 40 at the same time. And I first came across this one on Freedom Rock, but it was only a little snippet of it. So I didn't hear the full song until many years later. And finally, from 1970 this week, uh, Blue's Image with Ride, Captain Ride. I feel like this is pretty much definitely a known song. I mean, it's in the Anchorman soundtrack. If this thing keeps going, we may do the whole thing. Um, actually, another song from that one, Groovy Situation by Gene Chandler, is also on the chart this week. Uh, this would make it to number four. To me, Blue's Image, they're just a classic one-hit wonder. They had this one crack the top five. Uh, their follow-up single only made it to number 81. But I think this is a pretty beloved song. I know I said finally before, but this is the actual last song from the 1970 chart. Uh, it's Bread with Make It With You, and it's at number five this week and would go on to be number one. And I just wanted to bookend our 1970 chart picks with what TV Tropes calls getting crap past the radar. So if you know what, what they're talking about there. Um, and this song was Bread's only number one hit, uh, but it was their first charting single. That was kind of a surprise to me. And there's a great version, uh, cover version by The Whispers. Uh, moving on to 1983, uh, we we're on July 30th, and when I was building out the chart, there was only one song on the Hot 100 that was not available on Spotify, and sadly, it's a great one, Eddie Grant's Electric Avenue. At number 88 is Aretha Franklin with Get It Right, and this was produced and co-written by Luther Vandross, and Wikipedia describes it as a soulful boogie. Uh, this made it up to number 61. And this, to me, seems like a great use of blending the modern sound while still featuring Aretha's amazing voice. At number 69 is Frank Stallone with Far From Over. And you know this song from being on the Staying Alive soundtrack, which was the sequel to Saturday Night Fever. Um, but it was also used in the uh, SNL male synchronized swimming sketch with Harry Shearer, Martin Short, and Christopher Guest. Even though it sort of has these comedy background or you know maybe it's associated with that i think it's a great song it i love the irony of saying this is the end in a song far from over i really like it and i learned that this was the last uh top 10 single or top 40 hit 
from RSO Records, which obviously just dominated the soundtracks in the late 70s with Grease and Saturday Night Fever and others. At number 62, we have Air Supply with Making Love Out of Nothing at All. This was a new song for their 1983 Greatest Hits album, and it was written by Jim Steinman. And oddly enough, it was kept, it made it to number two, and it was kept out of the number one spot by Bonnie Tyler doing another Steinman composition, Total Eclipse of the Heart. And I have a book that's all about uh, the Billboard number two singles, and in that one, I learned that Max Weinberg played drums on this song. At number 50 this week is Asia with Don't Cry, and this would eventually make it to number 10. This is off their second album, Alpha. For some reason, the the sound of this one reminds me of Jackson Brown's Lawyers in Love, which is also on the chart, so it couldn't be that they were ripping them off, but maybe both were inspired by some other song. I don't know. But this was written by Jeff Downs and John Wetton. At number 48 is Mtume with Juicy Fruit. This would make it to number 45, uh, but it was a number one hit on the R&B chart. And this is, of course, sampled in Notorious B.I.G.'s Juicy. Uh, Mtume was a funk and soul group founded by James Mtume, and he went on to become a producer. At number 46, we have Naked Eyes with their song Promises, Promises. And I feel like this is one that I knew of from one of those 80s compilation ads, but I didn't come to actually hear it and enjoy it until later. Um, this was their follow-up to Always Something There to Remind Me, and this made it to number 11. At number 32, we have Rick Springfield with Human Touch. This would make it to number 18. This is off of his seventh album, Living in Oz. It was his second single. Something that I learned from Wikipedia was that this was his only UK top 40 hit, um, but he did play on Top of the Pops uh, for it. So he is considered a one-hit wonder on the in the UK. At number 23 is Take Me to Heart by the group Quarter Flash. Quarter Flash was led by the husband and wife duo of Rindy and Marv Ross. And Rindy sang and she also played saxophone. And this was off of their second album, Take Another Picture. Uh, it was their second highest charting single after Harden My Heart. And Quarter Flash was out of Portland, Oregon. And finally from the 80s this week, we have Canadian rockers Loverboy with their song Hot Girls in Love. And this is at number 18. It'll make it all the way to number 11. And I feel like people might only know Loverboy from Working for the Weekend, but they have so many other fun songs. Working for the Weekend, I was surprised to learn, is not even their biggest hit. It only made it to number 29, and they had some other ones that were in the top 20 and top 10 even. Well, that's all about all from me this week. Thanks so much for listening. Back to you, Andy. Thank you, Rachel. I learned so much on this chart chat. I had no idea that Casey Kasem's top 40 began in 1970. I listened all the time. My cousin and I would both listen together and my cousin would write down all the chart entries and keep them in a notebook. I might have mentioned that before. Theme from MASH, I'd never heard that version. I I uh, I loved the show as a kid, and my mom and I would watch it every weeknight because it was on before my bedtime. And uh, I I really enjoyed it as a, as a kid. It, I, I don't know if that says anything about my dark sense of humor. Obviously, that show is... It's about, you know, war and trauma, and uh, but uh, there is a lot of humor in it, and heart also. But uh, I never realized that the lyrics to that song were so dark until much later when I saw the MASH film, uh, the uh, Robert Altman film, and they actually sing the lyrics to it. And I was like, oh my goodness, is this dark? Jeez. Uh, 
anyway, this has been episode 240 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Our theme song is Walrus Love by Nokia Ocean. You can find that song and more at pizzapuppies.bandcamp.com. My name is Andy Mascola. You can purchase my novels via Amazon and other online book retailers in both paperback and ebook formats for as little as $1.99. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you, Rachel from Des Moines. We love you. Peace.